a little extra caution would not be out of place. The ride-in from the airport felt strangely flat. I had no idea why I'd been sent to Chicago, but that wasn't unusual. You begin lots of assignments without the slightest clue what you're going to be asked to do. And the way a mission looks on paper is generally a million miles from how it plays out in the field. For me, that's part of the excitement, like being handed a Polaroid photograph, fresh from the camera, and watching as the image gradually takes shape on the warm, shiny paper. But the familiar feeling of promise and anticipation was completely missing that morning. Normally, I love the first glimpse of a new place, but as I watched the cityscape morphing out of the traffic haze, it left me absolutely cold, because I knew I wasn't going to have anything meaningful to do there. I was just passing through. Quickly, I hoped, I should have been called straight back to London. This detour had the feeling of a wrong turn about it. The sense that the fallout from my last mission, or the debacle that followed it, had knocked me off the freeway and shunted my career onto an obscure back street. I needed to get back into the thick of things, to put the record straight, and to find some real work to do, something to keep me from dwelling too long on absent friends. My orders were simple. Report to a liaison officer called Richard Fothergill. I'd never worked with the guy, but I'd heard him talked about often enough over the years. The prospect of meeting him was the one ray of sunshine cutting through the heavy, swirling clouds that had filled the sky since dawn. And not because he was supposed to be nice. His reputation made him out to be pretty much the opposite, which actually seemed like a good thing that morning. Recent events had left me with no wish to add to my circle of friends. In my profession, there's a line that's better not crossed when it comes to building friendships. The rationale is pretty obvious, and the line is even more pronounced when it comes to closer, more personal relationships. This rule was made clear to me when I first started out, and back then I'd never have dreamed of breaking it. Assignment after assignment came and went, and I never wavered. I never came close. I never thought I would. And then, three years ago, something happened to change that, or rather, someone. My liaison officer on a job in Madrid, Tanya Wilson, the most spectacular human who ever lived. Tanya and I both knew the conventions. We were aware of the protocols. We'd heard all the wise words and sensible advice from the senior ranks. But despite everything, the line that divided us evaporated before our eyes. I felt like it had never existed. Without it, we started to fall. And we'd have fallen all the way, there's no doubt if it hadn't been for two things, a spell in the hospital for me, and a transfer order for her. The hours after Tanya left turned into days and then weeks, but she was never far from my thoughts, and even after the months had become years, no one ever took her place. I often wondered whether things would be the same if our paths ever crossed again. I'd almost lost hope of that happening, though, when she did suddenly resurface. It was at the end of the case I'd just closed— and her presence showed me two things. The flame had not burned out during our time apart, and the line that should have separated us had been drawn for a reason. So, with both the personal and professional sides of my life needing a shot in the arm, it's fair to say I was looking for a short-term distraction. Richard Fothergill sounded like he could fit the bill. He was a very unusual person, because although he worked in liaison now, he'd started his service life in the field. He'd made a transition that most observers would tell you is impossible, which statistically it is. I've checked, and from what I've been told, only sixteen people have ever managed it. 
I figured the Hancock Center was a suitably innocuous location, so I bailed out and found a good spot near the flags and the fountains. I paused there for five minutes, watching the shoppers and tourists and office workers bracing themselves against the wind. I waited until I was certain that no one was paying me any undue attention. Then I walked north for another block, crossed the street, and made my way back up the opposite side of Michigan Avenue. It took me twelve minutes to reach the Wrigley Building. The public entrance to the British Consulate is on the thirteenth floor, but I took the elevator to the fourteenth, to an office marked with our usual cover name, UK Trade and Investment. The receptionist was expecting me. She checked my ID and then came out from behind her desk and led me to a row of doors on the right of the lobby area, away from the main corridor. There were four. They looked like closets from the outside, but when she opened the nearest one I saw it led to a clear cylinder, about seven feet tall and three feet across. The segment facing me slid open, and she gently...